Hello, and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this rather quirky or unusual episode, I interview Lawrence Reed, who is an organiser of football ground hops. Now that will need some explaining, which Lawrence does in his introduction. Lawrence is also a writer, a blogger, and a photographer, and a very keen football fan. We chat together about our reminiscences of previous ground hopping tours, including tours in Europe, and also a world record-breaking feat, which I was involved in some years ago. So if you like football, and a slightly unusual angle of British football in particular, and the non-league scene, then this podcast is for you. Lawrence, thank you very much for joining me. Um, In my introduction, I've introduced you as a writer, a photographer, and then as a ground hop organizer. Now, I think you're going to need to explain yourself. What is, first of all, a ground hop? It's where someone works with a league and clubs to organize a set of staggered fixtures across a weekend, maybe six, seven, and then organizes hotels, coaches, pre-book tickets, programs, souvenirs, and also works with the clubs to, you know, to maximize their income from it. Excellent. So there sound like there are a lot of things for you there as the ground hop organizer. And when did this first start? When was the first ground hop that you were involved in organizing? They were started by a bloke called Mike Amos in the Northern League in 1992. They, that, the baton got picked up by Chris Berizet in Wales uh, about five, I think, years later. Also by Phil Hiscox in the southwest roughly the same time maybe a wee bit before i'm not sure which came first actually i got involved oh crikey about 12 years ago something like that in wales and i've been chris's deputy for well that long i remember attending the world record ground hop uh, i believe you were involved there as well which was the one in nottinghamshire can you say a little bit about that one? Do you remember that one? Was that the five in a day? Yes, five. We had one oh. evening additional one. Uh, then there were five. No, wasn't on the it <laughs> I came on board. Uh, I attended my first hop. I wasn't organising at that point. A year later, and came on board probably about two years after that. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, Chris Berezay and Rob Hornby. Yes, uh, Rob being at the uh, Central Midlands League at that point, and that yeah the. The, the standout was uh, five football matches in a day on five different grounds. Yeah, that Easy was enough that. to do it on one, five different grounds. That it helped that there were three grounds that were literally next door to each other. All yes. separate, but, but along Lenton Lane in Nottingham. Quite close, yeah. But there was still quite a bit of charging around to do. I remember doing it with my son. Um, so we I seem to remember it was Easter time, but there was a bonus fixture at Sutton on the Friday night, which was added in uh, quite late on, which we did. Then there were five, I think, on the Saturday. But by the end of the fourth game on the Sunday, you know, you really weren't watching the football. You were sort of concentrating on the pies or a pint. Um, and really, by then, nine games in that less than 48 hours, that was that was more than enough. But we did get a world record certificate, which was very nice. Yeah, wish I'd been involved. It was uh, it was a year before I started uh, chasing around the country doing this. Yeah. So, and in terms of organising them, no, that came on yeah. at least five years later. Yeah.
Can you describe what we mean? We're talking here as if everybody knows what we mean when we're talking about non-league football. What's the level of non-league football, particularly for our international listeners? Um, in the UK, what would be called non-league? And what is the non-league pyramid? So you start with the Premier League, then the Championship, League One, League Two. Those four divisions are league football. Everything that comes beneath that, further down, is treated as non-league. So. You, uh, your listenership may have heard of uh, the National League. That's the top level of uh, non-league. And then it gets more and more and more regionalised underneath that. And the league we just mentioned, the Central Midlands League, for example, would slot in uh, seven levels below uh, League Two level. Okay. So these... you've got to get promoted, what, 11 times to get to the Premier League from the, this level of football? Yep. There have been some clubs that have made some pretty rapid and uh, fantastic progress over the years, haven't they? Um, and recovered from having been relegated into non-league and then come back again. My team, Oxford United, managed to go. We were in uh, what's now called the uh, Premier League in, what, 1988? Managed to fall in all the way down to the, to the National League in, oh, crikey, about 2006, I think. We made it back in back to League Two in uh, 2010 and then back into League One about four years ago. So it is possible. You can also, I mean, the classic example of it, I suppose, is the old Wimbledon yes. who went from the second or third level of uh, non-league non right the way up to the Premier League. And, uh, well, <laughs> then it starts getting a bit controversial. But uh, they certainly make yes. <laughs> a long way. Wigan Athletic is another one. Yes. In fact, did you know my my team, Matlock Town, were the last club, I believe, to play or at least certainly to beat Wigan Athletic when, when they were a non-league club? I oh, think I we, we beat them at Causeway Lane and that was the last time they were defeated as a non-league club. Which is, uh, what were we talking about, 1980, something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's going back a bit, yeah. I mean, yeah, technically... That was in the days when you had to be elected into the league. You didn't get there as... You didn't, it wasn't just the question of winning the league... Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, my friend John Taylor would tell me if I'm right there, but yes, election, non-election, re-election, that was all very complicated and often quite political. Very. Usually boiled down to where in the country you were. Yes. Nobody fancied driving uh, driving all the way to Workington, so they got kicked out of the league. And, and Barrow. Yeah, of course, who are back, maybe temporarily, given the uh, where they are in, the, in League Two this season. Yes, but, uh, yeah. yes you can... These days, you can fall an awful long way very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, technically, it should be called the non-league ziggurat because these levels are called steps, aren't they? Step one, step two, step three. So yep. technically, ziggurat would be a lovely title to have for the non-league non-pyramid. Uh, your, your students are going to love you for looking at <laughs> that one. There's English people who don't know what that <laughs> word is. Yeah, it's very good. Let's focus on this organising and coordinating role that you have, Lawrence. What would you say are the most difficult things, but also the most rewarding things that you get from that experience? The way to look at that an event like this is, for starters, it's event management. And it is a compromise between three sets of people. The first set is the clubs. They want 
lots of people to turn up and watch them. They want to make lots of money. And the thing that people tend to forget, they want to raise their profile, particularly amongst their own community. I'm always bound to say a groundhopper will turn up to a ground once. If we can convince a local to come along and they, and they like what they see, maybe, just maybe, they'll come again and maybe they'll send their children to the, you know, to the youth club there. You know, you can build a virtuous circle. For a league, you're looking, again, it's profile. You're also looking at something that's going to, they're always looking out for things that help them fundraise for their own clubs. And again, often for people who volunteer at this level, it's just nice to have someone to, you know, nice to see a full ground with people enjoying themselves, enjoying the football and enjoying it for what it is. For the groundhopper, well, a groundhopper in essence is someone who collects football grounds in the same way some other people collect stamps, coins, tickets, you name it. So if you like, there's a, this necessity to tick off as many grounds as possible. So there's a financial element to it to the groundhopper who, you know, maybe you do one game on a Saturday. Here we can offer you two and another three on the Sunday and one on the Friday. So it's, if you like, you're getting um, more, more bang for your buck, frankly. You're getting, you know, if you're, or should I say, more grounds for your tank of petrol. Mm -hmm. You know, then again, we also do things like run coaches. So those who perhaps want to have a beer or those who don't want to drive or can't drive can still see the games. You know, we'll also coordinate things like, you know, not everybody wants a pie at every single ground. So we try and coordinate things like catering. So there's something interesting at every single, uh, every single ground. Most groundhoppers I know are absolutely mad keen on having a program. So they, you know, you organize those, then there's the badge collectors, you name it. Anything that will give those three sides of the equation, if you like, everything that they're looking for. And it is a compromise. You know, a club may not necessarily want to be playing on Saturday morning at half ten. But yes. then again, there's a bigger picture. If you do, you get more people across the gate. Maybe a groundhopper doesn't particularly want to be doing four games in a day. It's hard work. But then again, if you do, you're getting you're helping the club out because there's more, you know, that's a club who would not get a game, you know, with that many people in it if we didn't have all the, the extra fixtures. You know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's finding that happy medium that keeps I won't say everybody happy, but it's it's finding that middle ground. Yep. Do you know of the, the record attendance that you might have had at a particular game within any ground hop? Have you broken any records? Um, routinely. Um, I'm always a little, the one that always springs to mind is we, we took a, the ground hop to um, Bridlington, and, but they were playing Scarborough. And yeah, we got, I think it was 1800 or something like that to it. It's one we don't sort of pay too much attention to because frankly probably find all we did was add 200 people onto a big crowd anyway yes. the one that i always mention was a little we were doing a hop in the united counties league which is steps five and six but we also had some games in the peterborough district league which slots in beneath so that's, that's seven promotions from the football league now that game we played at a place called sawtree which is very close to you may have heard of stilton cheese mm -hmm. very close to stilton in fact, they were playing Stilton FC that day. And we got 534 people to turn up for that. Now, stick that game on any other day of the week, we'd have got 20 or 30. 
But the fact was, is that we turned it into this big family event. It was on a Sunday afternoon, so there was precious little competition for, you know, the hopping pound, for want of a better word. You know, we got the club to do things like cream teas. They did jerk chicken. They run a little um, fate alongside it. And they must have made, I, I must admit, I didn't find out what they made. I should have done. But I know they made a heck of a lot of money out of it. And in effect, there's, there's your classic compromise. The league loved it because they have 500 people watching a Peterborough District League side that normally they don't even think about spectators. The hoppers loved it because suddenly they got a programme and they got to see a ground that perhaps they wouldn't bother with normally. And of course, the club loved it because they raised their profile and made a pot of loot in, into the bargain. That, there's, the, there's the point behind it in a nutshell. Yeah. And that point you made that this raises the profile of the club locally, the point that's often missed, is very important, isn't it? Because, as you say, that fixture would normally have attracted between 20 to 30 fans, very very few. And I always think, well, that's barely one parent per player, you know, or one partner who yeah, is watching this. Wife, it's football. wife's girlfriend's mum's dad's. Yeah. So um, to get people in and hopefully to to help. Um, is there a health and safety element to this? Do you have to consider that as part of your planning, given the numbers? We do. We do but normally speaking, it fits in in whatever, the, uh, whatever arrangements the club have with, one, their personal indemnity insurance, and two, that with whatever the league has. We've had one that I remember, in fact, it was in the Peterborough District League at a place called Coates Athletic, where the council said, no, you are not having any more than, I think it was 600 people there. And I remember thinking, well, if we get 600, you know what, I'll be quite happy to have very that. Happy. We got about, I think we got about 300, something like that, maybe a smidge less. But I do remember there are two council officials on the, you know, the entrance to the park where it was being held with a clicker. So, you know, and when it was beginning to get above 300, I was thinking, how many have you got there then, fella? Yeah, you were <laughs> you know, it was, it was a classic case of them not quite understanding perhaps what, what, what was likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. To get 600 at something that fundamentally is around the roped-off pitch is, it, you could do it, I've never seen it. No. And I'm not saying necessarily that it will never happen, because the day I say something isn't going to happen, invariably it will. There's never been any trouble at a ground hop, has there? Which uh, would have warranted that kind of concern, apart from programming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the only time you ever get trouble at a ground hop is usually if some some part of that compromise fails. Um, we do things like, I mean, the one that always spring immediately to mind was uh, one my dear friend Phil Hiscox had. Now, Phil runs a ground hop slightly differently in that. If you buy an advance ticket, that doesn't guarantee you a program. And the famous story goes that they were at Perrinporth. Um, again, this is step seven, step eight, long way down the pyramid, but the standard of football and grounds in Phil's league is very good. So they tend to get some very, very healthy attendances. So Phil told this club, Perrinporth, to, um, to do, I think, 400 programs because they were likely to get that many. And the long story short is that the Perrinforth sent their program off to the printer, you know, sent the PDF to the printer to be, uh, to be made up. The printer looked at 400, thought it was a typo and did 40. 
Oh dear. They turned up Bank Holiday Monday, and you can imagine the fun and games when the 400 people, or 300 or whatever it was, turned up and they sold out within 20 minutes. Now, fortunately, the proofs were still at the printer. The printer then got up, and God bless him for doing it, got up on that uh, Bank Holiday Monday and was frantically finding <laughs> any bit of paper he could lay his hands on to print the rest of the programmes out. So apparently, I've only got the one copy. There are copies of that programme in yellow paper, pink paper, blue paper, anything oh. he could lay his hands on on a Bank Holiday. I'm sure there were one or two hoppers who probably now got sort of one copy of the white, one copy of the pink, one copy of the blue, because people get a bit OCD. And yep. ultimately, the only difficulties you tend to get is if one person doesn't understand the needs of the other. And yeah. that's it. And that was a good example of it. It got sorted out because Phil's a very clever and very able bloke. Good guy. I've had yeah. plenty of those. That's just the one that springs to mind. Mm -hmm. As you say, it's classic event management where anything can go wrong and probably will go wrong. It's how it's handled that makes the difference, yeah? Yes, it is. I think we've covered what clubs gain, um, but what about the players themselves? What do they think about ground hops? Do they, um, do they like them? Do they find them disrupting? What do they think? All of the above. The answer is, is players the what's in it normally if they're being altruistic they'll see that it's benefiting the club i'm bound to say one or two don't i think the main one that from speaking to managers concerned is once you get them over the fact that yeah you are having to get up early on a saturday morning or play at an odd time well one you get to go to the pub because if you're playing saturday afternoon <laughs> you're playing saturday morning that just means you've got more drinking time the other thing is a lot of them will like to play it do like to play in front of a crowd you know the fact is is you're right when it's you know wives girlfriends mums and dads you know yeah that's one thing playing in front of three four hundred people or two hundred people or even a hundred that's you know that's something nice yeah, and also quite... dare i say the chance to do something a bit different yeah quite special for their career a memory yeah it's a memory. I don't think it benefits their career particularly, only in the sense that, you know, maybe uh, I know I can think of one club and I'll name names. It was uh, Sirencester United, who we knew when we took the Hellenic hop to them, that's step five and six. Uh, they were six at the time. We knew the money had run out and they were likely to fold. Well, they made enough money on their ground hop game to play for another season. And when that money ran out, that's when they folded. Mm. You know, now... It, did we do some good? I suspect we delayed the inevitable. But for, if you're a player, that helped them have a club for another another season. Mm. But it shows you the impact of what one good game can do financially for clubs at this level. If well managed <laughs> and if well staged. Because yeah. frankly, you can, you can give people the, all the right advice in the world. If they don't take it, you're going nowhere. Um, when did you first organise your first international ground hop, Lawrence? No, I'd always claim that I haven't. Um, I help other people. I'm a pretty good shoulder to cry on. The first Swedish hop was my first football match abroad 
that was this year would have been 14 years it didn't happen because of coronavirus so what we're we talking 2007 now the guy who organized it you maybe you've met kim hebble from stockholm he basically used me as a sounding board you know what do you think would work do you think people would be interested and basically what kim did is he took the blueprint of what he'd seen in the uk and really revisited it for his own for, uh, and then sort of initially followed the blueprint almost exactly and then over the years we've sort of tried things that are a bit different that have you know that have worked we even included what for example one year we we decided to duck into the swedish national tramway museum they loved it um <laughs> you know we've had things like we i mean being swedish you know valander you know based in uh, southern sweden we we actually went to their um studios where that's produced uh we've even had tea and bickies with the meritrelleborg it's it's one of those weird things where because we're never going to get the numbers you're going to get in the uk you know it's just cost and also interest you know how many mm -hmm. people are interested in swedish non-league football but it's allowed us to be a little more sort of flexible as to what we think you know we'll try things there and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't mm -hmm. and as long as people understand that what we're trying to do here is a little bit different you know there's more to it than just football 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 it's yeah. see the country it's you know understand the people understand the culture as well you know and that's it's i, I always make the phrase the aim should always be when you're taking a load of British people anywhere abroad. I think the point is, is to make friends wherever you go. Particularly as football fans, we don't always enjoy the best of reputations abroad, do we? Particularly in Europe. Well, my standard line on that is if you think we're going to be a bunch of football, hooligan, football hooligans, um, the only hooliganisms we see are generally by players on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is, is we're... Yeah. Frankly, we're a bunch of middle-aged men who like drinking beer and watching football. <laughs> Anything more than that, we're far too lazy and far too old. Yeah. How many people would you normally uh, get to go on a Swedish ground hop? If if I get if I can fill every other seat on a coach, I'm happy. So twenty to twenty-five. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. you know it's it's not it's it's niche, very niche. Um, I suppose. I, I, Ideally, I'd love to fill a coach. I really would. Um, are we likely to do it? Probably not. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose in the end, I've become quite comfortable with that idea because it's just, it, it, it's kind of fun to see the same old faces every year because, you know, some some do dip in and some do dip out. But it is weird when you when, when Kim hands around the certificates at the, at the end of it and you think, my God, I've watched football in well over a hundred Swedish football grounds. It's ridiculous. It's very good. No, it's done. Uh, <laughs> it's completely potty. It's stupid. But do you know what? I still quite like it. <laughs> so There's no logic to it. Which countries have you been to since following your Swedish endeavours? Oh, what, in terms of me organising? Yes. Uh, the only other one I've ever organised abroad was uh, Romania. Um we did um, a young lad, Andre, was doing um, something on tourism for a, a part, of his, part of his degree. So he got in touch with me and basically me and my uh, good friend Simeon went over to Bucharest and he spent the whole weekend picking our brains. And then he rolled out a Romanian hop 
as part of his degree a year later. And I have to say the lab worked for it as well. <laughs> we had what was by miles the worst thing that's ever happened to me at football. And that was uh, Patrick Akeng, the uh, Dinamo uh, Bucharest player dying on the pitch. Yes, I remember that. What it meant was, one, he had to cope with that, which is bad enough, but it meant that all the fixtures that he had lined up for us that weekend were suddenly cancelled. Mm. So he there was the poor bloke having to think about, one, a tragedy, two, also the fact that then he had to real He had 20 or so British people. Actually, no, he had some Swiss and... Uh, I think there was a, a Dane there as well, but he had all these international people there wanting to watch something. And in the end, he managed to, you know, sort of spin it. And we managed to watch a load of local stuff. But, and of course, he had his, it was part of his degree. So, you know, potentially there was a lot riding on it for the lad. And I have to say, he came out really well out of it. it I would not have, you know, I've never had, I've never had that on my watch. Mm. But my my interest in it was, as, as I said, really with Kim, I'm, I don't. I offer advice where needed. I come up I come up with the odd idea, and sometimes, often the funny part is, is particularly with the Swedish one because we've been doing it so long. Um, I find it surprising uh, that the Orison Bridge that runs from Copenhagen to Malmo mm. has no visitor centre. I think that's <laughs> completely mad. A bridge that's is it 11 kilometers long is it it's amazing like yeah. Anyway, yeah it's an amazing structure but there's no visitor center so i came up with the idea well why don't we at least find somewhere where you can have a meal we're overlooking it and uh you know it took kim four years but we ended up having having a lunch there at, on the last uh swedish hop that yes started in denmark there's another story yes well, I remember with my children taking a ferry, a boat across from Copenhagen to Malmo for um, a meal, actually, sadly, in McDonald's, but for a day visit to Malmo just to say we'd been to Sweden. And it was the day they actually dropped in the very last section on that bridge. So I could probably date it to when my son was about five. And, you know, Alex, so we're going back 20 odd years. So it's been up a while, um, but it's a beautiful okay. bridge. It's yeah. the biggest problem we had when we were in southern Sweden, because we were very much the guests of uh, the Trellable Tourist Board. They basically offered us a load of discounted uh, hotel rooms to get us there, which was fantastic. Mm. You know, and they helped us out with talking to football clubs to go and visit, staggering kick up, all kinds of things. And as I say, we ended up at the Mer the Mera Trellable's house having tea and bickies, which is surreal. <laughs> but then again, you go home and, you know, what a great advert. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's that was yeah. It was costing us two hundred quid every time we crossed the bridge to take yeah. a coach across it one way. A lot of money. What? Um... So there were people saying to us, "Why don't you do more Danish games?" Well, yeah. Well, we have to pick up from Copenhagen Airport and drop off. But as sure as eggs is eggs, we're not going back. You know, yeah. in the meantime. But what? you know, that's what you do. You just look at it, make the best of it. We ended up at the parking and watching. Uh, Denmark, Republic of Ireland on a Friday night. You know, again, Swedish shop in the Trelleborg Football Club team coach watching Denmark. Work that one out. Yeah. What do um, international clubs make of British non-league fans? They can't understand why we're there. It's a simple answer to that. They, uh, you know, often they'll get they'll um, 
they'll set they'll, they, they like a lot of them like doing a little presentation they sort of invite us in for their clubhouse and we get usually fed you know a beer each or a, you know a soft drink if you wish or maybe even some food and they'll sit there and often they'll find someone who speaks absolutely perfect english which usually isn't tough in sweden and they'll um they'll tell us a little about their club and then they'll say but we have a question for you why are you here yes in england you have all this wonderful football because just about every swedish football fan has an english club they follow it seems to weirdly work this one out given your matlock connections we found quite a few in southern Sweden have a liking for Derby County. Oh, yeah. And I have no idea why. Work could, that one out. Could be historic, but it is an unusual one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can only assume that the people we were speaking to were gentlemen of a certain age, and it was when they won the European, uh, when they won the, the uh, when they won um, the, the top flight under Cluffy. Yes. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. You'd more understand yes. Forrest, wouldn't you? Because Forrest won the European yeah. Cup twice. Which... Winning the European Cup, but no, no, amazing. No. I've never encountered a Forest fan. A, a, a Forest fan. I'm sure there are some, but yeah. no. The Meritrella Borg, for example, or should I say, the former Meritrella Borg. You know, we, we were asked to guess who his football team, and of course, we went through all the obvious ones. We went, nope, Derby County. I know there are many uh, Norwegian fans who love English football and come over on a regular basis, even for weekends. Not not necessarily <laughs> a ground hop, um, but yeah, British football is uh, British. I say British because it can be Scottish as well as Welsh, and even Northern Ireland, which is getting increasingly popular. Um, many people come Very over from friend. Norway. Yeah, um, we get we've got a couple of Norwegians come over. Um, half of it, I suspect, is that. You know, yes, they're getting a very good, so they're getting a better standard of football than the, you know, the Tipper League in Nor in Norway. But and you're getting it compared to Norwegian prices, you're getting it a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember taking actually as a British guy who was over for when my stag do in Oxford, and he went, and he said, and I took him to some fairly, you know, not cheap pubs by any stretches of imagination, and he was like, "This is so cheap," and I thought, yeah. <laughs> I remember my one night in Oslo and thinking, this is alarming how quickly I'm spending money. Yes. And uh, the answer is, though, is that, that I find, to answer your question directly, I find most of them are utterly charmed that someone somewhere, forget where they're from, actually is showing some interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember a little club in um, sort of mid Sweden, just yeah, north of Stockholm, about an hour north of Stockholm, called Film. And uh, you know, they said, well, do you know the most famous club we've ever played? Liverpool, and, you know, you know, Toronto Alinos. <laughs> oh, Pre-season friendly. Um, yeah. What I'd finish with, uh, Lawrence, is a sort of invitation, really. I, I live in Bratislava now, and I'm desperate to get to see more Slovak non-league grounds. I've only got four under my belt so far, which, as you can imagine, is not impressive enough um would you like support in developing or uh, organizing a tour of clubs in slovakia the answer is yes of course i'm always up for doing something something like that um there's been one or two sort of moves afoot i know in the past one was based uh one was a young lad who was based who was teaching i think in trenching Mm -hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, trenching. Uh, yeah. that, that's a 
he moved to Spain. That did, so that didn't happen. So beautiful ground. The other, pardon? It's a very nice yes, ground. Yes, I've seen. Sadly, the floodlights are gone, haven't they? I believe so. I'm not sure if the floodlights have stayed, but the castle overlook still overlooks the ground. They've redeveloped the ground, which has the castle over one end. Uh, and we've also got the famous ground with the train running through the, the side uh, of the stand. That may have gone. Hmm. Yeah, now that's an interesting tale, actually, because a, a bunch of German groundhoppers, the train, I'm told, is a tourist train. It's not yes. on the... So it only runs during the summer. So the... The times when it coincides with the football season is fairly limited. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a bunch of German hoppers actually chartered it to run during a game, which, as I suspect, is That's where the famous clip came from that I think, you know, just about everybody who likes football has seen. I know a very well-known British hopper tried to charter, do the same thing, but too many people wanted to just turn up to the ground, take pictures of the train and not contribute to it, which oh. was a bit... I thought it was a bit off. Yeah. Um, I put it this way, my money was down. I was ready to do that because you're right. Perfect. The answer is, is I'm all is God only knows when we'd fit it in the diary because you know, forgetting coronavirus just for a second, thank God. Um, you know, there is it's a busy old diary. Um, I think what I'd probably say to you, John, is I'd be tempted to say, I'll bring myself and the missus over. Let's go and have a fun. Let's have some fun around, find some new ground somewhere and see how it hangs together. Mm -hmm. Because the difficulty you tend to have with foreign hops is that when I'm in, say, South Wales, I can go to a league like the South Wales Alliance and say, if I bring 200 people to your football ground, will you, will you move the kickoffs so that we can do threes and fours in a day? If I go to the Slovak FA and go... I'm bringing 10 people. Can you move your fixtures? I think we know the answer I'm likely to get. Yeah. So you have to take advantage more of what's already there. Now, I do know the on the Czech side of things, they do play a lot of their third division games very early on Sunday mornings and very early on Saturday mornings. Mm -hmm. So you can play around with things like that. But then again, you start thinking about, OK, what do we do with transport? How many people have we got? You know, you start... It, go back to that that three way, that three way um, compromise, and therein lies that is both your problem and your solution all rolled into one. Yes. How, how many people am I likely to get for a, a Slovak hop? I'd have thought a few. It has the the great advantage over say Sweden, than that it's likely to be fairly inexpensive. Mm -hmm. I know some. I know Peter Miles, for example, has done some very good stuff in uh, Serbia with you know, some local help there. And maybe that's the secret. It's having somebody in that country that, that understands what, uh, that understands what the, what's needed, knows the, knows the language, knows the football, that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm always prepared to talk, put it that way. Yep. Usually it involves me coming over with the wife and a beer and we just go and have a look, see what it's there, see what the land lies. Otherwise known as a recce. Exactly that. Okay, Lawrence, um, thank you very much for your time. That's been really entertaining. Um, the, the vagaries, the strange case of the non-league pyramid and uh, the non-league ground hop. Thank you very much indeed. No problem. All the best to you and your students. Okay, thank you.